Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master's Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today, we're going to be continuing our session on building in-depth encounters, talking about uh, introducing outgoing encounters and also transitioning uh, between encounters. Here in the studio, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed. The Rainbow Dragon says, Roar! <laughs> Today we are talking about uh, encounter transitions, um, moving into an encounter, closing out an encounter, and moving on. Yes, yes, moving on. Let's focus on moving on, and also uh, tradition transitioning as as a chain, chaining encounters together. Um, I think you might have to redo the part after I made my joke, Jerry. No, no, I it's good for the blooper reel, but no, yeah, we're good. <laughs> so we're talking about transitions for encounters, moving into an encounter, coming out of an encounter and chaining encounters together as kind of a encounter to encounter super encounter. Um, this was my response to talking about in-depth encounters because it's very common, I feel, for sometimes encounters and the rest of the game to kind of feel like separate pieces mm-hmm. like, okay, now we're having a, an, an encounter start um, specifically, usually a combat encounter. And we have to entirely shift gears. Like we're no longer in character mode. We're now talking dice and rolling and numbers. And we're not talking about character motivations and where this fits in the larger story. We're talking about, let's kill some stuff. Let's get some XP. Let's get some loot and then come back to the story later. Um, And this kind of ties in a little bit with the weaving stories in that we'll be talking about when we get to, to that section, Um, which may not be until the next episode. We'll see how this, this goes. We're still trying to plan out how long we're taking on each of these. Um, but bringing, bringing encounters in and bringing them out. Um, normally, as we talked about a little bit last week, the encounters start with, here's the, an objective, here's a description. Um, we were kind of beating into the ground the encounter of you know, the minotaur outside the castle that the players need to enter. And I was hoping you'd start with the centaur, actually, so that way it would almost be like beating a dead horse. Huh? Huh? No? No, there are people right. too, you know. <laughs> well, they're half people. But a lot of a lot of the encounters start off with that very boring, like, and now you come across, oh look, there's a castle with a minotaur. There's a horse in the clearing, he's dead, and you can beat him. Um, you know, just stuff that it's too soon for a callback. Way too soon for a callback. Eh, yeah, I lost track. I need to get a better accountant. So, um, so introducing encounters in novel and unique ways rather than the players, there it is, have at it. What are your thoughts on it? 
Oh, we got to start this? This is your idea, man. You start it. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I talking through the intro, I didn't want to talk too much. Uh, no, no, go ahead, man. Take take the reins. There's always, <laughs> there's the option for... Another horse joke. <laughs> horse accountants for everyone. Of course, of course. Actually, in the Christopher Walken skit, wasn't the centaur applying for some sort of financial job? And then he just started asking him centaur questions. No, you don't remember that, do you? It's an SNL skit about the, he keeps saying centaur, you know, over and over. Huh. Are all centaurs up a half person, lower, lower half horse? Or do you have it flipped? You have it reversed? What do centaurs eat? That was the worst walking impression I've ever done. I apologize for that. Hopefully we can fix it in post. Uh, well, actually, um, do a pretty decent walking, actually. So, introducing encounters is a couple of, I think, some different ways to do it above and beyond. You're here, there's the encounter, go have at it. Um, there's the dynamic introduction where rather than the players stumbling on the encounter, the encounter comes to them. Um, perhaps, you know, a chase sequence passes through, you know, the party when they're in the crowded streets and now they need to. You know, do we join in? Do we help out? We know if they may even know some of what's going on. They may, it may be, hey, we know who that is because they're a criminal. Maybe, hey, isn't that the person who helped us out? Maybe we need to help them back. Um, you can bring in a couple of different options. You had one where it was just the players, you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times, the players were camped out at night and they heard voices out in the wilderness. Right. Um, you know, rather than just giving them the full here you are, here's the encounter. It's more of a, here you are, the encounters could be there. There could be something, but you'll need to investigate into it a little bit more. Right. That's definitely a, a, a trick worth noting. Um, you know, every I think everyone does, you know, random encounters and everyone does, um, you know, make sure their players have shifts in case something happens during the night. Um, and in those cases, you if you come up with something, you can try to put a twist on it. Like, okay, maybe you hear this or see that, or you think there's some sort of disturbance nearby. It doesn't always have to be that the encounter that you either planned out or randomly rolled just stumbles upon the group somehow. Uh, you know, it, it's just something that's nearby that they could investigate. You know, sometimes maybe given the option of not going after it, but you know, let it be their choice. And in that way, you're sort of uh, bringing the, or, or having them sort of bring themselves to the encounter uh, and and letting that play out. And that can be pretty interesting. Yep. You can, you can definitely give them the option. And that also, it makes it easier for them to, to control how they want to approach it. Um, like we were talking about last time, there could be different options. And if you just, Present them on, you know, and you're on an open field facing each other, then there's not a lot of different options to go with there. Where if you make it something where, say, one of the parties doesn't know the other one's there, or they can decide, you know, maybe we just, maybe instead of investigating, we're just going to lay low and let it pass us by. Um, you have options. And that's also a, an interesting version of, of the stealthing through an encounter. Rather than stealthing to bypass it, we're going to you know, hide and let the encounter pass us by. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing I've done before is I've sort of 
come up with an encounter and said, okay, well, it's going to be some sort of random encounter. Maybe these guys will be trying to ambush them, but I'll roll, you know, roll a D20, see how well the ambush goes off. And sometimes they'll roll really low. So as the players are approaching the, the ambush site, they clearly see that someone is hiding in wait for them. Hey, are these the guys we are going to be ambushing? Right. There are people coming up the road. Are those the ones we are going to try to kill? You know, or maybe the maybe even the players even see them before uh, the other guys do. So that's that's sort of an interesting way to allow your players to go to the encounter. They can, <laughs> yeah. I, no, actually, you reminded me of a wonderful encounter that I had okay. in which the players were meeting up. They had actually uh, taken the place of some people who were doing some black market dealings and they were trying to get recover the stolen goods. So they were setting up a sting operation, which they were offering to sell additional goods, you know, to get the information and um, take out these people who were, were purchasing the goods to try to kind of track it down. And I had decided when I built the encounter in the prep before the session even started that if they wanted to meet these people, the people, the criminals that they were meeting would be setting up um, ambushers so that they'd be able to have, you know, backup hidden, ready to come in. My party, completely independent of this knowledge, decided we're going to go in early so we can set up the warlock and the ranger hidden to cover us to ambush them when the time is right. So we wound up having an ambush, an unintentional counter ambush set up. And then we had, as the the meeting for the actual exchange of goods was going down, we had some roles going on there to see whose ambushers caught whose. And so we had a little scuffle among the, among the backup at the same time that everything started to go down in the main meeting which also led to the PCs thinking, well, we've got our backup out there and everything's good. And the criminals thinking, well, we've got our backup out there and everything's good. And the backup is out there trying to survive and hoping that everything will get taken care of so that they don't have to try to come out and save everybody because they're too busy trying to save themselves. Right. Another thing you can do is foreshadow. Uh, I think uh, foreshadowing is an, an easy way to set up like an intro like uh you know uh hey if you're on the forest up to the no you know like in the storyline the forest up to the north you know people keep disappearing and then like well we're gonna be traveling through the forest up to the north so then when something pops up it might it seems more like a random encounter it does might still seem kind of like that slight separation but it's still part of the story you know right. it was foreshadowed it was it was out there. this is what they were talking about yeah oh this must have been what that guy was saying so that's, a, that's an easy one that you can throw out there. Just a little bit of foreshadowing, a little bit of foremention. Uh, another way to do it is like a callback. So you're kind of doing it in reverse. Like, okay, it might seem like a separate encounter now, but then the, the story, like later on, the story will come back and, and kind of explain what happened instead of it feeling like it's just this random encounter out in the middle of the woods. Later on, you find out, oh, well, those were the, the goblins that have been harassing this nearby village for a while now. And, you apparently ran into them and uh, claimed them out and we, you know, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, just have this big callback to the situation. And actually you could kind of look at, at one of the very famous literary examples that fits that bill. So the encounter starts 
with the, the rogue of the group got separated and finds a ring on the floor and puts it into his pocket. And that's just a random encounter that doesn't seem to mean much until the storyline builds and you start to find out what's actually going on. And ultimately, that, of course, becomes the whole Harry Potter series. Yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about was Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm glad I was on on the ball with that one. Yeah. Oh, Harry Potter. Gotcha. And not the one with the wizards, the one with the people who make mason jars with and their... don't have razors. Gotcha. The Harry Potters. Gotcha. You are really stretching. I am really tired. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. Um, so we talked a little bit about, about intros to kind of connect it in so it's not that abrupt break. Uh, let's also talk about outros. You know, ending an encounter and different ways that you can change that to seamlessly kind of go back into the to the non-encounter mode without having that harsh, abrupt um, stop. And I think part of that is actually in the bookkeeping. Um, there are some DMs that hand out experience or or treasure after every single encounter, mm-hmm. and that is a great way to break that immersion and to break that flow. Yeah. Is to say, okay, and now you're getting experience. Oh, how many more do we need to level up? Oh God, let me look it up in the book. You're going to have people getting distracted, getting sidetracked. Um, we you know generally keep experience to the end of the session. Um, with fifth edition, I've I've found great success in using the milestone system. So yeah. players aren't even tracking XP. They're leveling up when I tell them they level up, uh, which allows me to keep level ups to appropriately dramatic points of the story um, and a couple of sessions before they level up. And I don't have to worry about whether they're not whether or not they're getting the exact amount of XP they need, whether or not people are falling behind or just having everybody is now level whatever. Well, I'll say as a GM, I never hand out level per enc- or experience per encounter. Maybe this is just because I'm old school, but when I hand out experience, it's at the end of the session, you know, or the beginning of the next session, you know, sometimes I don't hand out XP until you finished the dungeon, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a handful of DMS that will, okay, you finished this encounter. Here's how much XP you got for it. Now I don't have to worry about keeping track of that for later. So, I mean, maybe that is your style and there's nothing wrong with the style. It's just, it does break that immersion. So sort of what Jerry was mentioning here. So personally, that's, that's how I do it. Uh, Also, I've done, as Jerry mentioned, the, uh, uh, the milestone based uh, experience. That's very handy. You know, Uh, usually after uh, the first two encounters, I will say, okay, level up to one. You know, or sorry, up to two. And then maybe at the end of the next session or somewhere, you know, when it makes sense, level up to three. But usually I just want them to get to that, those levels pretty quick. So I don't really worry about that too much. For for first or for fifth edition, it very much feels like the first couple levels are almost like the tutorial levels of a video game. Here's your character. Here's what you can do. Learn how to play. Okay. Now we're up to level three. Okay. Now you actually get to go out and have fun. Now, part of the issue that some GMs might have, um, with stopping and saying what you got, either experience or treasure, would be the treasure. Because a lot of players are very treasure oriented. Once they once the encounter is done, you have people looking at you with dice in their hands saying, I searched the body. Like immediately. Like they don't even give you time. So one thing you may want to consider, and I've actually been considering lately, is you don't award anyone treasure until the end of the end of the session. Now that's going to take some people out of it, but if you let them know ahead of the time, hey guys, you're hunting for treasure is, 
you know, really taking away from the game. So I'm just going to reward you guys with the treasure that's here and just assume that you guys find everything, but I'm not going to give you anything until the end of the session, you know, and that might be a way, you know, if you have a lot of people who are, you know, sort of treasure hawkers and it disrupts your game, that might be a way to sort of nip that in the bud and say, we're going to wait till the game's over. And then I'm going to tell you guys what you got for treasure. And that can, that can also, you can alleviate that with, with pacing. Yeah. Um, there doesn't need to be treasure after every encounter. No. Um, and instead you have it. So on a regular basis, you know, maybe they're finding a larger horde. So you have an encounter that ultimately the goal of the encounter is get the treasure chest. Right. Um, I know I've had success in my games with having players really only getting anything more than a few coins comes off either payment for a job or it's somewhat of a big thing. Like, oh, you find this ancient hall of weapons. Here's a couple that are still usable. And then they get a couple of items all at once and they're getting these big rewards, these big payoffs from time to time that the players seem to be enjoying. I, I find a lot of players who like to keep ledgers, like they will take everything. Like if you say that, there is, you know, you just fought 10 goblins. There's, you know, six functional leather armors and eight functional scimitars. They'll keep them all in the hopes of sometimes selling them. Oh, that's that's actually, uh, since we're also talking 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons a lot, yeah. uh, that's actually something that I feel has been overlooked. I got pointed out on a message board that I was looking at online. And a lot of people like, wow, you're right. And all this, it actually says that the equipment that you're collecting from monsters uh, should be considered to be in used condition and somewhere around a quarter market value. Yeah. And you consider that you sell it for half. So your players are now looking at essentially getting around 10 to 12% of what the actual listed price in the player's handbook is, which helps actually, I think, yes drop the amount of players who are going to strip every enemy of everything they have. Yeah. I've been doing that in my, in my game. Like anytime they go to sell their, their stuff, like a couple of times they've actually sold two actual uh, quartermasters who need gear. So I've rewarded them for that. Cause they're actually going to find like people who like, I'm not just going to go to the blacksmith and try to sell my, uh, sell these scimitars. We found off some goblins. So I'm actually going to go to a military quartermaster who might need some gear. Yeah. You know, so that's fine. I can probably get some more there. And also, like, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can find somebody who's interested in collecting goblin memorabilia. Right. Uh, now, I think we may have been getting a little off topic, though. We're, we're talking right, about right. Uh, um, how to sort of keep the immersion going. And those experience and treasure, you may want to consider only dishing those out at the end. If that's not the way you normally do it, but you want to try it, just make sure you tell your players in the beginning of the um, session, like, guys, I'm going to start doing experience different. I'm going to start doing treasure different. You guys are going to get everything at the end of the session. We're, so so that Although, way we don't stop. Yeah, otherwise you'll be pestered every 30 yeah. seconds. Well, even if you are, after the first after the first encounter or two, and, you know, you'll start getting the hint. And then after that first session where you do it that way, people will probably fall in line easily enough. Uh, so, so let's swap back to closing out encounters. Um, this also gives you options as a GM because you're working with with characters who have their own goals, their own motivations. Uh, if you go and listen to our our talking tactically, we talk about things like surrender and retreat. Um, that's a way to kind of cause encounters to to not so abruptly break up and end and like, okay, fight is over encounter done now. And, and 
Right. And it can also go into another encounter. Like, let's say you're fighting the cultists and the Dark Duke decides to retreat because he's taken heavy losses. Now your combat encounter becomes a chase sequence. Um, and we'll be talking a little bit more about the transitioning and the the, the mega encounters or the multi-part encounters a little later on. Yeah. Um, you can also have the surprise outros or the surprise ends to the encounter, uh, additional reinforcements showing up and... You know, one side is just completely hosed. Now you can have other interruptions. You know, the combat doesn't quite finish, but the cultist pulls a lever and a portocollis drops. And there's now the party and two cult members on one side of it and everybody else on the other. And now the party has to find a way past the portocollis or around through the castle. Um, I think it's also important with these encounters when they start to slow down it's important to wrap them up pretty quickly when it gets to the point where that, okay, players winning is a foregone conclusion. Do you really have to make your players roll out all of those dice rolls and players will want to roll. And so I'm not saying that as soon as you say like, okay, you guys have won this and you win and it's over. Um, But I feel like once you get to the point where you're like, okay, they've got this, they've handled the challenge. They're ready to move on. As a DM, you should let things move on more easily. Right. They they come across 20 well-armed guards who are trying to stop them. And in the first round, the players go through at least like eight or nine. Okay. Maybe the other guards aren't so keen on sticking around anymore because you just took out a majority of their forces or, or a big chunk at least, you know. Um, so you, you certainly have them retreat. You can also have them surrender. Maybe they're Maybe they're going after some thugs to try to get information as to where the boss thug is, you know, and then at the end you have one or two of the thugs like run off. The other one just flat out surrenders. You can immediately transition from the combat into the interrogation, interrogation, you know? Yeah. And I remember seeing a tip on that. Like if you got the really bloodthirsty players, you can have them surrender with, Oh, well, if you kill me, you'll never find out where Vorgax the black is hiding. Like, Oh, we need to find him. Maybe we need this guy alive. The black. Jerry says his name was such contempt. He must be an accountant. Worse. He's an abjurer. Okay. <laughs> because I want to see a villain abjurer in a game. All right. You know, it's always necromancers and. Did you say you want to see it in your game? Then just make it. That's what it sounded like. I don't know. We'll have to fix it in post. We'll have to fix it. Maybe I'm hearing things. We'll have to fix it in post. In a game? Sure, I'll make one for you. I'll make one for you. Villain Abjurer. Clarissa's an enchanter. Clarissa's a major of Wrath villain. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because for for all the fans that had kind of the same look as Ed did. Yeah, Zahn's a diviner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Villain Illusionist would be another fun one. Oh, I'm working on an illusionist already. Don't even don't even get me started. I got that in the works. You don't even know. You don't even know. I'm going to be such a bastard with that character. <laughs> All right. Let's rein it in a little bit here. Uh, so Jerry, where are we at? Um, so that was talking, talking, talking intros, talking, talking outros a bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about transitions, um, which I mentioned earlier, you know, transitioning a fight and then the, the object that they're trying or the object of the fight the person they're trying to 
the person they're trying to take out takes off running. Now you transition into a into a chase sequence. Right. Um, using these to to break up the monotony of some of the hack and slash encounters to kind of get to your longer, uh, you know, kind of kind of mega encounters. I've had a couple of of interesting. Uh, in the games I've had, we had a my fourth edition game. We ventured into a lair of giant spiders, and the final sequence was akin to uh, Aliens, where you've got the big queen matriarch spider laying eggs, and the mm-hmm. big hefty giant spiders that were actually attacking the party and guarding the eggs, and we were in there to wipe out the spiders. And our party of seven wipes out, you know, five of the eight spiders. And then Mama Spider comes out of her hole and starts joining the fight. And she's a battle all on her own. Plus, we have a couple of the other guard spiders that are weakened. So we need to try to finish them off before she gets over here and fight her. And in fourth edition, you had the encounter powers that you use once per encounter. In fifth edition, the equivalent would be like once per short rest. But we had used those. So going into another encounter without a chance to rest made it for exciting and dynamic yeah. um there's also the the instance of and i know we have a lot of a lot of cultists cultists are a nice generic villain on here yeah. um, but you're fighting the cult cultists in the altar there's the great ritual going on and then they summon whatever they were doing you know so you have now have a demon to fight or or the the floor of the temple collapses and everybody falls and everybody takes some falling damage. And now you're in the pit of the temple with this ancient beast that's going to kill everything that's alive. And all of a sudden the cultists are trying to kill you, but also trying not to get killed by the beast. Maybe some of them decide that their best course of ops course of action is to work with the party. And so now, you know, that thing's going to kill us all unless we work together. So I'm going to help you try to fight that thing. I should write that down. That would actually be a That's really great. Good. I want to play that now. Yeah. No, um, I mean, while you're describing yeah. it, though, in my head, I'm seeing like, okay, so the army finally runs into, or the, the players finally run into the um, the summoning room or whatnot, whatever. And like, there's a, a dozen or more cultists there summoning this thing. Well, maybe half of them break off, yeah. you know, and fight the players so that the players have something they have to face immediately. Maybe there's like one cultist that puts up a barrier that's protecting the rest of them while it's summoning it, you know? So the players sort of have to focus on these cultists and how to take the barrier down. Then after they do that, the rest of the cultists, but maybe one or two of them is able to still kind of protect themselves while summoning the thing. And then at the end, bam, you know, de- de- demon and a couple cultists, that's essentially what you're doing. You know, just like that example, just like the spider example, essentially what you're doing is you're having multiple encounters. Right. You're just putting them back to back. So think of what can my players handle? All right. Can my players handle 12, let's say, slightly beefed up cultists? Let's make them like CR2s instead of CR1 eighths or whatever they are in the book, right? Because maybe you have a slightly higher level group throwing a demon at them, right? Right. So a bunch of like CR2 things that are basically cultists and they go battle them. You know, and then they have a few more of those and then two and a demon. You know, if you think your party could handle all of that and then, okay, even if you think, well, that's going to be a fight, but yeah, they could do it. Then, then that's sort of how you're layering that. And you're layering three encounters. They just 
go one right after the other after the other. So it's sort of a high paced. Yeah. Well, deal. I mean, it's kind of a callback to the dealing with waves. Like we talked about a couple of episodes right. ago, you know, you're just, instead of, you know, bringing in more of the same guy, you're bringing in a variety or even a, a higher level guy. You're, you're right. kind of just staggering the difficulty level and just pulling him in and letting him overlap. Yeah. That, that cultist situation, like the, the thing that kept going through my head the whole time is the end of Conan, the destroyer where like they're they have that horn and they put it on the beast and they're summoning that god or yeah. whatever and all of a sudden like it just goes rampaging and killing everything so now some of the the random like acolytes are kind of trying not to die and yet some of them are still fighting conan and you know that whole situation right very much like that was going yeah. through my head the whole time so and I, th- I think also the important thing to do with the transitions versus waves is i feel like waves should be almost more of the same yeah where a transition either the battlefield changes or the concept of the battle changes. So even though it's one extended encounter that you're kind of facing in periodic waves at the same time, each one is distinct and has its own feel. Oh yeah. You've got different, yeah. You know, in, in a video game, there'd be different phases of a boss fight. Yeah. I was right. gonna, that's what I was just saying. It's similar to the waves is, is what yeah. I was saying. Uh, yeah, exactly. Waves. Again, I, like you said, I see it being more of the same thing, you know, okay, you killed those zombies. Here's another wave of zombies, you know, hence waves, you know, where the transitions I see it like, you know, it's the next evolution of the encounter, right. the next, you know, the next part of the fight. So like you said, either it's, Something coming in, you know, the big bad mother spider or the terrain, excuse me, is changing. But somehow the the encounter itself is evolving and, and typically becoming more difficult, you know, a bigger struggle. You know, the big evolving boss fight at the end where the boss takes on another form and then another form and then another form. And finally, it's in its ultimate form and finally we can finally kill it. And it only takes like three seasons. Yeah, exactly. If it's Dragon Ball Z, especially. Um my final form. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely think that's you know a, a great way for transitions. Uh, I think that you know like your callback to them running away and transitioning into a chase scene is nice. You can transition into kind of like a puzzle encounter also. Like maybe they're not just running away, but they run away into a maze. Now you have to deal with like, you know, navigating a maze or they're able to get through some sort of magical door where now you have to solve a puzzle in order to open the door and continue to follow the guy. You know, maybe it's not really even so much a chase scene so much as like they got away, but now you have to get to this door to get out of this temple that's crumbling. Or 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 they sort of, maybe they run through a portion of the temple and like they wake up the undead protectors of the temple and you know, he makes it through the door and shuts it, but now they're all looking at you and your group because, yeah. because they want you're right to there. Kill. Yeah, they gotta kill the intruders and you're the only intruders they can see right now. Uh yeah. So yes, I mean you have you have uh, you know evolutions of the fight. You have you know evolving into chase, evolving into a puzzle encounter, escape. You know, escape is kind of a you know in my opinion kind of a mix of chase because there's a time factor and puzzle because you're trying to you know get out of whatever the situation is before you know again the temple temple yeah. crumbles around you and buries I, you alive. I had huge success in one of the games I ran where the. Uh, they were in a temple, and the final battle of the temple was this huge multi-part kind of boss brawl where there's like five or six different things going on for the party to worry about. And then they beat the boss, they grabbed the artifact they needed, and the temple started crumbling. And it turned into an escape sequence. And they did all that. And after the game was done, one of the players came up to me and said, like, I think that was the best session of d and I've ever played. It's like, that was just awesome. Yeah, and I, I think, and we've talked about this in other uh, episodes, just, you know, building encounters and stuff like that, but just having a lot going on. You know what I mean? 
And I know we're specifically addressing transitions, but transitions are a great opportunity for you to start stacking the deck for you to start having multiple things going on. Cause right. like, you know, like Ed said, okay, not only did the guy that you're, you know, you came here to kill, you know, the head cultist number one, he escapes, but he awakens, you know, there's three mummies nearby. He goes through a door. Now you have to deal with three mummies. So you can deal with the three mummies. You can try to uh, avoid the three mummies and try to solve the puzzle that opens this special door that he went through. Uh, also, the temple's now crumbling around you because he went through this special door. Now you have three things that are going on. Okay, there's a puzzle to get through this door. There's three mummies right here. The crumb, the 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 tower or the the temple's crumbling around us. Oh, by the way, there's still a group of cultists back there that are coming up behind us. You know, so we got mummies in front of us, cultists behind us, temple crumbling. You know, puzzle door what do we do now? <laughs> you know, it just keeps stacking and layering and building on each other. So you can do clean transitions where you just go from one problem to the next, but you can start like, uh, you, or you can start just adding trans, you know, the transitions can just start adding layers and layers and layers of the onion and make it more and more difficult or give or offer more and more opportunities. Maybe there's three doors in front of you and you didn't see which one he went through. Exactly. Okay. Now I got to choose. Now there's three mummies to deal with. Now I got to choose do I choose a door number one, two or three? I, you know, what's, what do I do? I was thinking or even, another. even two doors. All you see is two doors closing at the same time. Like you're trying to chase this guy and just whichever door they go after first is a mimic, mm-hmm. you know, and it just attacks them, you know, and it's just a fun little twist, you know, like, okay, you got that. Now you go through the other door because the whole chase scene thing. Because players may also choose to disengage from the mimic. That's true. We don't have time for this. Yeah. We don't have time for this. The whole chase scene thing does bring in one problem. You've almost always got a ranged character in the group. And what are they going to do every time? Oh, he's running. I'm going to shoot him. You know, even, even if, even if the idea is not to kill the guy, they're going to shoot him. Protection from arrows. Yeah. First level spell. Just the way. Well, yeah, there's, there's certainly ways around that, but one, yeah. one you, interesting way you around hit that. Him, it didn't stop him from running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one interesting way around that too, is he's always seems to be at the other end of the room running, running somewhere when you guys finally turn in the corner and see him. He's Jason's opposite doppelganger. Instead of always just being yeah. there, he's always away from you. Right. He's, <laughs> he's just right at the end. Like you guys are, you, you're, you're fast enough to be able to see where he's going, but you're not fast enough to be able to get an actual attack on him. So now, you know, but as he was going down this hallway, he pressed this button and now like, uh, uh, three quarters of the tiles have all broken and showing you a bottomless pit. So now you have to hop over tile by tile to try to get across the room, you know? Um, another one that I came up with while you guys were talking was the, uh, the transition that the players can affect. Yeah. Um, I was specifically thinking of, again, we're fighting in the temple cultist throws open this, uh, this valve and the room starts flooding. Well, now the players have to deal with the fact that there's, you know, water flooding into the room. They can choose to do nothing. But after three, four rounds, it's now up to like waist height and some like piranha or sharks. So now you're adding the puzzle factor of trying to stop the water coming in. Right. And if if they ignore it, then they have the panel. Then there's kind of the penalty of extra things that they have to deal with. Swarm of quippers. Right. But they could also turn that to their advantage. You know, maybe... And the the sharks come in and the druid uses a control animal spell and sends them after the cultists. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or the or they just attack everyone randomly, adding a third faction to the to the fight. 
Yeah, again, just it, it just the the transition part of the you know the discussion just it just starts adding the layers and the in the onion you know the the onion peels that's you know like that's where I really start to yeah. really enjoy the encounter building is like an, oh, okay well you can fight just these things or we can have thirteen things going on and I want to see what you guys do because right. I have no idea what you're gonna do right you know there's no way for me to account what you guys are gonna do because there's just so many different options in front of you I think as as a GM that's one of the things is I'm gonna build this this puzzle i'm going to build this encounter i'm going to build this challenge and i want to see how you how you approach it how do you handle it how do you deal with it yeah and you know it's it's not like in like cartoons or comic books or even in movies like you've never seen like say for superheroes for instance you know the the group of bad guy soldiers are fighting the team and then like the you know named superhero comes out and starts fighting, you know, that, or sorry, this named villain comes out and starts fighting the superheroes as well. But then you defeat him and he says, well, you'll never beat Dr. Whatever his name is. You know? And then Dr. Whatever his name is. Like is the next guy along. in the room or what? Yeah. I mean, you can certainly add a bunch of layers. Doesn't have to always be combat. That's more waves, but the more things you can add to your encounters. Now it is going to take up more time. You know, it's going to be more adventure based, maybe even more combat based. So it's definitely going to add that, but it's also going to add some suspense, which could be fun. And and also, you know, it could add different variety. It could add different options. But as a DM, if your players are like, we want fighting, we want to, we want to cut stuff up. We want to do physical challenges. We want this, then give them an exciting physical competition. Exactly. If they want role playing, then you know, let's let's go to the to the king's castle, and we're you know we're speaking with and seduce the, the minotaur. We could seduce the minotaur, but <laughs> you know we get in, we meet with the king, and you know assassins come through. We have to protect the king. Now we have to try to catch these assassins, right. and then it turns convince out convince the minotaur to kill the assassins, or convince the, the minotaur seduce to seduce the assassins. Oh, and now, then, I think we're getting into fan fiction territory here. And then you catch the assassin and it has the insignia of a neighboring country. Yeah. And now you're getting into, okay, we need to go confront the ambassador, you know, and you can do the same thing in a non-combat situation right. just by building each thing that happens off of the previous. Yeah. yeah. I think a big thing too, like Ed said, like if you want to add a lot of pressure, uh, like in my opinion, like to, in order to really add like maximum pressure and, 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 and really put the players under the gun, no matter how you're building uh, the the transitions or, or how you're building up the layers, is to add some sort of time factor. Mm-hmm. You know, again, a flooding room, a crumbling temple, yeah. maybe the assassins getting away. So you have like that chase scene, but like you know, dinner is getting cold. You know, so whatever the situation is, like you know, if they only have five rounds to accomplish X, then like no matter like doesn't matter if it's combat, doesn't matter if it's puzzle, doesn't matter if it's chase sequence, no matter what's going on, they now have a lot of pressure on their plate because they're gonna like how do we accomplish x objective and, objective you know objective. in five right. rounds yeah know? exactly instead of like well we have all day to deal we can kill these guys all day all we have to do is not die right. no you now have five rounds to deal with the situation or you or you fail whether you die or whether someone gets away or whether you drown or whatever the case is you you are going to fail your objective yeah. you are about to fail your mission yeah <laughs> maybe maybe the guy you're chasing through the through the dungeon who seems to be just uh you know, going around the bend every time you 
finally see him. Maybe he's got the ancient gem that's going to, you know, summon the evil dragon demon thing, you know, he's and got a dragon orb. So, so, right. So you're trying to get to the, you're trying to get him before he can set that in the special altar thing, you know, and you know, that's where he's going. So you're chasing him there. He's just a couple steps ahead of you. Maybe adding, adding a nice twist there. If you, if it's a chase sequence, but you know where the person you're chasing is going. Yeah. Gives you the option of, do I chase or do I try to cut him off? Right. Right. Can we take shortcuts. Can we get there before him somehow? Right. And then, you know, as a GM, you might even be thinking to yourself, well, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to give the players a chance to stop him, but they're not really going to get that chance until like the room before or the specific room. Like they're going to catch up to him about then. Like that's what maybe you have in your head. Like, okay, I kind of want him to try to rush through these encounters. I want them to feel that sort of tension, but I'm not going to have them get to the final room. And be like, okay, you summoned it. You guys are done because then it's almost like there's no chance for them to catch him. There's no chance for him to get him. You got to give him that chance here or there. Slow him down a bit. All right. He, he cut gets, him off. He gets there. Said. He puts the gem in the altar. You, that means the summoning ritual has begun. Or there you have you go. five yeah. rounds. Yeah, now you have five it. rounds. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it could be on top of, you know, like you had five rounds to cut him off, but since you didn't cut him off or stop him, now you have yet another, you know, now he's got the gem and the trigger, so now you have five rounds to stop this thing right. from opening the portal. Okay, well, you didn't stop the portal from opening, so now the demon's coming through. Now you got five more rounds to try to kill this demon before he crumbles the temple from around you. You know, you know, you can have it so like you don't auto fail after the first, you know, or or first, he's, but, he's know, summoning his god, and if you can reverse the ritual before it fully materializes, you send it back to its own plane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, you can have it so like okay, after the you know they they fail the timer, you know. It just goes on to the next consequence, or you can have it. So, oh well, he got the gem yeah. in the thing. It's over. You you yeah. failed. Failure should never be the end of the story. It should right. just make the rest of the story more interesting. Right. right. But well, I think that's a good point, a good kind of moral to wrap things up on uh, for this episode. So it looks like we are going to three parts. Um, next time we'll be back. We'll be talking about Ed's ideas for weaving stories into the encounters. Story weaver. Yes, and. Uh, so we will wrap it up there. Let us know what you think, any ideas, any comments you have, any topics you'd like to hear about. Feel free to get in touch with us. We are on Twitter, GMS Studios. We're available on Facebook to like, comment, subscribe. And if you really like us, you can contact us on patreon.com slash Game Master Studio. Share your support, get some sneak peeks at some of the previews, what's coming up. We get to actually go on there and talk a little more freely about some of the behind the scenes stuff that we might not be able to. Um, speaking of, of not being able to speak freely, we do have a big announcement coming up uh, at the end of the month or yeah. Yeah, the end of March. Okay, so that's still on for the end of March. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it should be the 31st. All right. And so we will get that in and we are really excited to get that out to you. Tune in for that. And of course, tune in ba- back here each week for more episodes and we'll see you the next time we are in the studio.